Good morning, family. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good. It's good to be here with you today. Um, I'd like to just start with a word of prayer, if you don't mind. So if we can, let's come to the Lord together. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Thank you, Father God, for your fullness. Thank you, Father, for your new covenant, which you have entrusted to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Even though it cost all that he was, you didn't hold back. You didn't refrain anything, Lord Jesus, but you spent it all just to get us back to you, where you put us in the first place and where we belonged all along. Even though we strayed, Father, you came after us and you made a way where there literally was no way. You became the way, the truth, and the life. We accept it wholeheartedly, Jesus, and I just pray that your example, your fullness, and your spirit that now resides in us would continue to refine us, Lord. Continue to draw us deeper into your presence, God, so that we can reflect you, so that we can live our lives the way that you lived yours when you gave us that example. Draw us ever closer to you, Father. We love you and thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, family. Um, were any of you guys here for a couple weeks ago? My father actually came and preached on Sunday morning. I was so bummed and I had to miss that. I did listen to the podcast and man, it was so good. Good stuff. Um, as you guys, um, I think my wife had mentioned, I was actually traveling over, I was over in Europe for a, a week and it was a really special time because you guys may, ha- may be aware that uh, this October 31st, like November 1st, was the 500 year anniversary of the Reformation. So this is like literally 2017, 500-year anniversary from 1517 when Martin Luther initially you know, nailed his protest to the door of the Catholic Church out in Wittenberg, Germany, saying the Catholic Church to the Catholic Church, like, this is where you're wrong. And so it, it, that's where he broke off, and from that protest came the Lutheran Church, and after that huge fracture in the foundation of what was Christianity, all these kind of splinters off into what became kind of Pentecostalism. You know, the, the truth is that when he nailed those 95 theses, is what it's called, these 95 issues that he had with the Catholic Church and some of the practices that they were doing, these are all things that he had been writing to the bishops and to the leaders of the Catholic Church. Hey, we need to come and, and have a council on this. We need to talk through some of these things. And he just kept getting shut down, shut down. The door was slammed in his face. And so finally, they held a council and they discussed a number of issues and ignored his whole, his, all of his issues. They didn't, they didn't talk about any of them. And at that point, he was like, all right, I, can't, I have no clear conscience going around and having bishops and the Pope sell indulgences so that people can become forgiven. This is just one of them, but that was like the biggest issue. And so he broke off. And so there were good reasons, there was good reasons for him to do what he did. But just like anything, even things with good intentions, good motives, it can go too far in the other direction. And what ended up happening was there became animosity within the body of Christ. So now you have this break off of the body of Christ into, into Luther, Luther's church. And then you have all these other strains that started to break off. There was, another, uh, there was another kind of strain that was breaking off from the church right about that same time called the Anabaptist movement. These are people that didn't accept infant baptism. They said, that's not right. We're supposed to accept Christ and then be baptized, not be baptized and have him kind of accepted for us. And so this, this particular group of people, these people were uh, persecuted by not only Catholics, 
but also Lutherans, like Christians, were rising up against these Anabaptist people and persecuted them to the point of burning them at the stake. They were drowning them in water. They were, they were disqualifying each other from the body of Christ, as if any of us have the qualifications and the ability to say, you're not a Christian. But this is what, this is what they were doing to one another. But what was so special about being in Wittenberg at that place where this all started 500 years ago was this. We had the uh, Catholic bishops and leaders. There were Lutheran bishops and leaders. There were people from that Anabaptist movement, that the heritage was from there, and, and various strains of, of Protestant faiths all came here for the purpose of repentance to one another for the way that we have treated one another over the centuries, to forgive one another, and then seek reconciliation, to reconcile one to another. So this is like a major, this is a major thing that the Holy Spirit is really leading his body together. For so long we've been having all these offshoots of all these different things, and now he's saying, hey, what is this really all about? Because it's really all about one thing, and Manny was just talking to us by here. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, crucified, risen again, and through him now we have eternal life. That's what it's all about. We take all these side issues and we kind of say, I can't give this up. See, what happened was being right became more important than practicing brotherly love. And when being right becomes more important than practicing brotherly love, which is all through the scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, and we want to cling to our rightness rather than to our loving as Christ loved, we're going astray. We're way off. We're way out of whack. And that's where he caused damage. There was a guy there by the name of Chris Zimmerman. He said this, he said, our common enemy has infiltrated and caused us to injure ourselves, Christ's body, far greater than any outside influence. And it's so true. We can get, we can get attacked, we can get criticized, even persecuted from the outside in to us, but it doesn't affect us the same way it does when the enemy can weasel his way through the doorway, through an open gate that was left unattended, and now he's in our midst, causing damage and wreaking havoc within our own family. That's been his strategy, and that's what he's been doing. So this, has, this is true on a large scale, with deno- speaking of like denominations, but this is also so true even on a smaller scale, talking about our individual churches, how we so commonly, so often, find ourselves causing hurt and damage to one another, rather than supporting, encouraging, helping, praying for one another, you might have heard it said, I've heard, I've heard various uh, types of this, this quotation that says, churches would be such a wonderful and great and even perfect place if, if only it weren't for the people. <laughs> because there's, people just, they rub each other the wrong way sometimes. You're going to have some kind of argument, some kind of conflict. Hey, when you have, when you have various people in a room, you're always going to have tons of different opinions. But when our opinion becomes to take precedence and now we have to enforce my opinion or what I think upon you and I can't live with you unless you see eye to eye or submit to the way that I'm telling you it has to be. If that becomes our precedence, if that's what really matters, we're off. We're out of line and we need to check ourselves. See, I don't think the real problem is people. I think it's more about us actually putting into practice some of the basic things that the, Lord te- that the Lord has taught us 
in the scriptures. One, one commandment, I can, I can think of this in John chapter 13, where he says, the world will know that you're my disciples when you love one another. The one distinguishing factor, the thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the world, is our love for one another. And yet the one thing that distinguishes us from the world is so often absent from our church. So what makes us different? If we can't practice that love, what makes us different? We're just a group of people that are coming together. We have got to be committed to one another, not just because, but because when we're committed to Christ, he points us to one another. And so we're committed to one another through him. He's that vehicle. He's the reason. You guys might remember a story in John chapter 4 when Jesus was hanging out at a well and he was thirsty and he, he came and asked this woman for a drink. Well, he starts talking about this wom- to this woman and they, they come on to this topic of worship. And so somehow this woman takes this, the whole conversation in this direction and says, oh, well, some people say they have to worship over in Jerusalem, but I know that we, we can worship here in Samaria. And Jesus says, well, well, hold on, hold on a second. Listen, there's coming a time, in John 4, 23, it says there's coming a time, and the time even has now come, where where you worship, it's not about a location, it's not about a place, it's not about a building, but true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. And now, so rather than a place or a particular practice, Worship is a a state of being. It's a state of heart. It's an attitude of heart. In in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul touches on the subject where he says, I think, oh, we have that? Yeah, we're He says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Our act of worship is offering our bodies. In other words, our whole selves, all that we have, offer it to him. This is worship. This is our worship. It's not coming to a place. That doesn't categorize, you're not in the category of worship when you come to a place. You're just as much worshiping the Lord when you're fellowshipping with a brother at Dunkin' Donuts as you are here. Worshiping the Lord is offering your whole selves. And what that looks like from moment to moment will change but the heart stays the same. Spirit and truth. You're worshiping moment by moment if we're offering our whole selves and not withholding any good thing from the Father who has given us all good things. So there's a common problem that we run into when we're trying to live this way and we're trying to offer our whole selves to God as a spiritual act of worship. There's a common problem we run into. It's one another. <laughs> It's conflict, right? Conflict is going to happen because the, the truth is this. I'm an imperfect person. That, as if that weren't bad enough, you're an imperfect person. When you put a whole bunch of imperfect people in a room or in a world together, what do you get? <laughs> you get a whole lot of mess. You get a whole lot of hurt. You get a whole lot of damage. You get a whole lot of conflict. So the truth is this, each and every one of you in the room, I don't even know, to, I don't need to know your stories to know this, you have been hurt. Most of you even uh, deeply damaged, wounded. 
by another person. And I can pretty much guarantee you this, it wasn't the last time. It's going to happen again. It's okay, but it's going to happen again. You also know, I hope you're all aware of this too, you have been the one to cause hurt to another person. And that probably wasn't the last time. If I know myself at all, from, from my pattern, my history, it wasn't my last time. You're going to cause hurt again to another brother or sister. It's going to happen. And this is where a conflict begins. This is where it rises, right? But what I want to propose to you is this. When, you, when things get heated, and when this conflict comes your way, and you find yourself in this conflict, conflict itself is not a bad thing. Conflict is not bad, and conflict is not good. It just is. It's just a part of life. It's a part of our Christian walk. It's going to happen. See, the difference is what you do with it. Conflict is a decision point. For a visual, I kind of see it this way. As you're traveling along the highway, you come to a point where all of a sudden you're at this three-way kind of fork in the road. And there's different, there's different avenues which you can pursue which you can take. And so it's not the, the conflict that's the problem. That's, that's a, it's a fork in the road where you're going to decide which direction you go. And depending upon our decision, it can become a negative thing. It can become hurtful to both yourself and others, depending on how we decide to carry ourselves. See, if, we kinda, if we, we've come to this fork in the road, this decision place, and we decide to kind of veer off to the right, if you will, we decide we're going to kind of sweep things under the rug. It was kind of an awkward thing. You know, you know there was more underneath the surface, but you're not even going to unpack it. You don't even want to go there. So just kind of sweep it under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist and just kind of don't even think about it. Just kind of keep on with your day. Keep on with your week and move on. But it does exist. And the problem with sweeping it under the rug is that it doesn't just go away. It grows. It increases to the point where it's not just a, a dirt pile under the rug, but it's this big rock and you try to walk and you're going to stumble over it. It doesn't go away because you want it to. It goes away when you handle it in a God-honoring way. We can't just sweep things under the rug. I think when we don't engage things, we try to leave things alone. This is where we end up off, oftentimes like with... Um, Man, I hear so many marriages that after 20, I, I've, in, my, in my own life, I've seen this um, with family members, 20, 25 years of marriage pass, get the empty nest, the kids go off, and it's kind of like, who are you? I don't even know you. I've just been putting up with you. Because we, rather than engaging conflict and growing from it, we just avoid it to the point where what was keeping the, the marriage together was the children who are now gone. Now what? We cannot avoid these things. We have to engage it. It's so important. But the other thing we have to be careful to do is not to approach conflict with a competitive attitude as if there is going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser and I'm going to be the winner. We can't come at conflict with a domineering heart. Matter of fact, it's not even about size. It's not about you versus me battling. What does Ephesians say about who we're wrestling against? We're not wrestling against one another. 
We need to see one another through spiritual eyes and recognize the fact that, yeah, right now, this, this conversation that's happening, I, I, I physically see someone standing in front of me, but you know there's, there's, this thing's at work in the spiritual realm. And that's, that's where this conflict is arising from. So we've got to keep in context who's the real enemy here. You guys might remember a story in the book of Joshua where Joshua was getting ready to take the Israelites and go, and, 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 um, go pursue Jericho. They were going to start to march around the city. Well, as he's walking, before they even did this, as he's walking towards the city, he's walking down the path, and all of a sudden, he's confronted, it says, by an angel of God. And you can just imagine how stunned he was, and he just sees this thing here, and the first thing out of his mouth is this, whose side are you on? Are you for us, or are you against us? And you know what this angel of God said? Neither. I am on the Lord's side. And it's so important to keep this context when we say there's conflict arising with us. It's not me versus you. It's not you versus your brother or sister. There's only one side, and it's the Lord's side. And if we get swept up and caught up in the emotions thinking that we have to be right, well, now we've been blindsided. We need to be awake. We need to be conscious and aware of what's actually happening and where the battle is actually being engaged. Because if we're being blindsided and the battle's happening over here and we're fighting over here, we're just getting taken advantage of. And so we have to come and approach attitude with, with the right heart. And that's the great thing. This is the great thing. There's some good news about conflict is this. When it's handled in the right way, good things can come out of it. Not only that, relationships grow deeper and stronger. And not just between you and the brother that you've had conflict with, but relationships grow deeper between you and the Father because you work through these things together. Again, we're not committed to one another just because of it, just for the heck of it, but we're committed to one another because of Him. And so our relationship with Him grows when we're committed to one another to stick through it and engage conflict. And, and, and rather than think, that person, that issue is not important enough for me to even engage. I'm not even going to have the conversation. We can't do that. So what I want to do is this. I want to take two scenarios. I'm sure throughout Scripture there's various, way, there's various lessons we can learn about conflict, but there's two particular passages I want to take a quick look at this morning to see exactly what is the teaching. And these are, these are, teachers, uh, these are teachings from Jesus on how to engage conflict. The first one is in Matthew 18. In Matthew 18, verse 15, it says this, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. Interesting, you've won. Okay, we'll talk about that. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two, one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may con- be confirmed. So now we're going to get our team together and go and attack him, right? If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you, whoa, as a Gentile or a tax collector. Okay. This is what Jesus is teaching in, is on how to handle conflict. Okay. There's a couple different observations I want to pick out of this. First, for the first phrase, if your brother sins... And this conflict in the, in the body of Christ, this is a family issue. This is not some stranger that lives across town. This is your brother or this is your sister. This is family issue, and we need to treat it as a family issue. 
This is not anything other than family. This is the body of Christ. This is, this is someone who we are one with, with Christ, through Christ. This is a family issue. The second thing he says is this. Through this teaching, he says this. If your brother sins, in other words, there's some kind of conflict, confront. It doesn't say go and pray. It doesn't say go and talk to other people about it. It says confront the issue. When we have conflict, we have to engage it and confront it in a calm and orderly manner with a purpose in mind. Purpose in mind. So a matter of fact, Scripture teaches us, right? Didn't, as a matter of fact, wasn't it even Jesus who taught us forgive those who sin against you if you want to be forgiven? So, it, so Jesus said, forgive those who sin against you but this says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault in private. So wait, we have our instruction. If you've been sinned against, if you've been hurt by a brother or a sister, forgive him. It's done, right? Well, it's done in our heart. But what's the purpose then of Matthew 18? What's the purpose of showing him his fault in private? Is this, is this a judgment thing? What's the purpose? Those are both very good. Yeah. It's about reconciliation. You can forgive in your heart, and that's between you and the Lord and that person, because you can, don't forget, you can offer forgiveness, but that person may not want it. They might not accept it. This is, this is, this is about that person acknowledging their fault. This is about that person growing from that. Remember, sin and conflict arises out of a heart condition. So if someone sins against you, that means something was off in their heart that caused them to act a particular way. There's something that's off in their heart. Their spirit is wounded in some particular way. So you can forgive them and you can continue on in your relationship with the Lord, but the teaching is, if he sins against you for his good, go and show him his fault. Something, a heart condition has been exposed now. So now he, it's been exposed to you and to maybe some others in the church. You don't just let that happen. If, you, if you're walking by someone and you see this huge gash that's beginning to have gangrene on it, and you see him, you don't just kind of like, ugh. That thing needs to be addressed. Well, that person's going down soon, like the clock is ticking. If you see someone with a deep wound, you don't just let it fester. We have responsibility. If you've been sinned against, there's two things you have to do. Forgive but then engage. We have to engage. The goal of confrontation is for healing and growth of the person who, caused, who, who sinned. That's the purpose, for healing and growth. So think about this. To refuse to confront the conflict in a godly manner is to withhold healing, growth, and strength in that person from a brother. This is our obligation. It's not for your own good. Sorry. It's not about us. This is for one another. If we refuse to, conf to confront one another through conflict, we're refusing to help one another grow. We're supposed to be here to refine one another. Jesus said that he's coming back for a bride that is pure and spotless, without wrinkle, without stain. But how are we going to become that way? We need one another. That's why God gave us one another. 
We're here to refine one another, not to challenge each one another, try to crush one another down. This is not a worldly system. This is a divine system. This is a family of God. There's one Father, just like there's one enemy, one common enemy, and it's none of us because we are all his children. So we need to confront. The second thing that we, we see through this is in our confrontation, it involves communication. And this is where oftentimes things begin to break down. Miscommunication. A lot of times hurts are rooted in, or even, even um, arguments, they're rooted in miscommunication or misunderstanding. We've got to get better at communicating with one another. And it comes with practice. It might be ugly and kind of messy, and that's why sometimes it's easy just to leave things on the shelf. Just leave that where it was. That, that's a wound from a long time ago. Let's not dig things up. It's not about digging things up so we can feel pain again. It's about addressing an issue so that we're healthy from the inside out. It's the, it's the end goal. It's about a heart issue. So we've got to learn to communicate in a respectful manner. And then the final thing I see here is this. He says, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. This is not about winning your brother, about being right or wrong. Winning him over means you opened his eyes to something that's going on in here and showed him something that needs to be offered to the Lord. That's what this is about. And the consensus is, we find consensus because sometimes when you bring an issue to them, they might not still see it. But you bring someone who's a trusted person to have the discussion in a loving and gentle manner, now, we're get, now we can get somewhere. We're, we're, we're looking to for them to discover a consensus to really see what is the Lord's stance on this and where do, is this truly an issue I have? Because who of us wants to, wants to be wounded and go around ignorant of that? As Christ followers, we have to confront conflict with a heart of humility. We have to. It's part of our obligation to one another through Christ. And so, um, one last thing I want to point before we uh, pass on to the next scripture is this. It says that if he refuses to listen, even to the church, by the way, remember the context when he said, bring it before the church. He's not saying, bring it before a church of 50 or 100 people. We're talking about, this is house church days. He says, bring it before the church. Bring it, bring it between 12 and 20 people. Bring it to a, a, a group bigger than two or three. But bring it, bring it to the church. And then if they still don't receive it, now... Treat him as a Gentile and a tax collector. What does that mean? Despised? People. Say it again. Okay. The lowest form. That's how they were viewed, wasn't it? <laughs> so this is interesting because he says if they are not going to receive conviction coming from you, if they're not going to acknowledge their fault, treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. Remember, remember the first point. This is a family issue. We have family values and we're committed to one another through Christ. If we've gone through this step, this process, and there is still that hard heart, they're refusing to acknowledge our family values and be engaged with the family, now they have removed themselves from the family. And so... By, by using the words Gentile or tax collector, does that mean we treat him like a jerk? No, because no matter how anybody else around you behaves, you should still be demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. I don't care how they treat you. Gentleness, love, kindness, patience. That's how we treat them regardless, but they chose not to be part of the family. 
They're choosing not to be engaged and live with us. We want them, but they're refusing it. We want them bad enough that we've gone to the pains of going through this, taking time out of our days to engage them, and they've refused. And so it's simply a matter of they've, they, as, uh, seeing them as they're not part of the family any longer. They've removed themselves. This is, the, this is when, some, when someone has sinned against you. I want to flip the script real quick. I'm going to jump into Matthew 5, verse 23. <clears throat> it says this. This is Jesus again. This is the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come to present your offering. One of the main functions of a leader that I see, that I always, I always teach, is this. It is key and it is absolutely crucial for a leader to be aware of your surroundings and observant at all times. Aware of people and situations, interactions, just being observant. You're on the lookout. You see what's happening. That's huge. Well, in our walk with Christ, that calls us to a similar place of being aware of our surroundings. We're not just going through things like one-track-minded, like we're the center of the universe any longer, but now we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And because we've become part of something bigger than ourselves, that, remi- that, that requires us to have a bigger perspective. I'm not just looking at my own stuff, my own business any longer, but I'm, I'm being aware of, what's, of my surroundings. Because if we're not aware of our surroundings and, and self-aware of how we're carrying ourselves, we can go around injuring and wounding people and, and not even know it. So what he's saying here is this. When you are going to worship the Lord at the altar and give your gift, but while you're there, remember that brother has something against you, leave your offering. Drop it where it stands. Stop what you're doing is basically what he says. It's important here when we come to worship the Lord is to reflect. We don't do this because we're going through the motions. We're not following a prescribed list of behaviors here. Because it's not about behaviors. It's, again, it's a heart condition. Remember, true worship, true and spiritual worship is a state of heart. And so if we're, if we're going to worship the Lord truly, we're going to be constantly reflecting. And so we have to reflect upon our own behavior. And so this is what's, what, what, the, what this guy is going through here. He's reflecting, and then upon reflection, remembers that a brother has something against you. So upon remembering that brother has something against you, he says, stop what you're doing. Stop giving me stuff. Stop worshiping me. But drop it and leave it there. And now notice this. Notice the words here. He doesn't say, if you have a problem with them. It's not, if, if you have a problem with that person. It's also not, if you, if you remember that you sinned against somebody. This might not even be a matter of sin. No. He's saying if you remember that someone has something against you, so maybe, again, it's a misunderstanding. Maybe somebody misinterpreted something. Maybe it's something aroused you know, behind the scenes that you weren't even directly engaged with. Someone was given a perception of you, and now they have something against you. Sometimes not even of your own doing, but they have something against you. Jesus said, stop what you're doing. Go out of your way to seek that person out. Because it's not about ourselves anymore. 
We're part of something bigger. We need to be aware and serving one another. Maybe you didn't even do any of that, brother, but Jesus said, this came from his lips, stop what you're doing and go out of your way to seek that person out. This makes it really, uh, paints a really clear picture about what God prioritizes beyond anything else. Beyond your time, your, your service, beyond your talents and gifts, beyond your treasures, resources, beyond anything else, he wants your relationships. And he wants your relationships with one another in right standing. Jesus literally says, keep your gift until you have been reconciled. Reconciliation is the goal. This is what he wants for us. What's more is this, the act of reconciliation itself, going to seeking that, seeking that brother out and making amends and, 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 and coming to understand one another, this is your spiritual act of worship. This is true in spiritual worship. This is part of offering our whole bodies to the Lord, all of us. That's our act of worship. It's a heart condition. It's a state of heart. And so in that state of heart, it drives us to these types of behaviors. It's not mandated. It's not required of you. But if our heart is in the right place, our heart's going to drive us to that place. Right? And so, again, as Christ followers, we must confront conflict with a heart of humility. We must pursue reconciliation and right relationships. And here's one other thing to consider. Our relationships with one another in the body of Christ are directly linked to our walk with God. They are not two separate things. Jesus makes this very clear. They are one and the same. You saw that picture that I was painting of, like the, of the road with kind of like the fork in the road. We can't veer off this way and begin to sweep issues under the rug. We can't veer off this way and let pride get the best of us and, and, and make us ourselves right. We've got to pursue one another and reconciliation in all things. Because any time that we do veer off, this verse makes it very clear. If we've veered off and, and we remember that a brother has something against you, stop what you're doing. When we try to leave one another and just think we're going to pursue God on our own, he's standing there like this, pointing you right back to where you came from. We're all going to the same destination, and there's one way to get there. And so if we take a wrong exit here or there, there's only one way to get there. You need to go back to that point where we went off course and then find ourselves back in alignment with the right path. We have to be willing to confront conflict with a heart of humility. God prioritizes our relationships with one another beyond any other external thing in our lives. And if we're going to match our values to his, we have to do this. We have to confront this conflict with a heart of humility. What I want to do to wrap up this morning is this. I want to take a few minutes to, to reflect. And so I've actually prepared. This is such a crucial issue, I feel, and I've seen, I've seen the hurt just run rampant and just wounds upon wounds, because here's the thing. Hurt people hurt people, right? And so if this is allowed to, to continue within our family, it, the wounds are going to get deeper. The wounds are going, to get, are going to increase and become more common. We can't let that happen, because that's not the body of Christ. 
That's not us. That has to stop. I felt um, so strongly about this. So what I did was this. I put together a list of scripture reflections that I want to give to you to take for this week. There's a scripture, scripture with some reflection questions for each day of this coming week. This is nothing that you're going to turn in or even need to show anybody. This is between you and the Father. But, uh, Brother Kurt, if you would pass those out, they're right in that shelf right there. There's one for today as well. So I want to take the next five or so minutes to have you read this first scripture. Uh, there's also some pens. Where are the pens, Clark? Oh, he's got them. Okay, great. So as he passes these out, hey, dude, do you mind? Um, take a few minutes to read through this. And remember, just answer them honestly. This is just between you. This is nothing that needs... We're not going to have a sharing with the class time. So there's no purpose in uh, being dishonest or, or just not being real. Just be real with yourself. Just have that, let's have that time of reflection, like this is saying, and see what the Lord might reveal to us.
everyone's almost good here. You can take more time later if you want to. <coughs> oh, we can get the pens later on. I mean, uh, Kurt, that's okay. Um, if anybody happened to get the ones that have the misspelled front page, don't mind me. I was doing it in the middle of the night last night. Or actually a few hours ago. <laughs> Man, this is such an important issue because it's a heart issue. It's a heart condition. It's the easy way out to let things be sometimes. But that's exactly what it is. It's just a, it's just a cop out. It's just a scapegoat. It's just a, a way of, of ignoring it. And it's unhealthy for you and for me and for all of us. We cannot let the wounds within the body of Christ be perpetuated. But instead, the Bible calls us ministers of reconciliation. We are ministers of healing. And so if that's what we're called, that's what we better be. It demands action. Not out of obligation, but out of the desire of our hearts. I do hope that you take this this week and um, just take 10 to 15 minutes with, with, um, with the scripture and then the reflection question. Each day this week, that's all very simple, but I think it's going to be a helpful tool for you and for me, i got mine right here, to, re- to truly reflect and see what the Holy Spirit might reveal within us and might prompt us to do from that place. And so nobody's going to ask you what's being written down. This is yours. What I do want to ask this. If you understand how important it is to engage conflict with a heart of humility, and you're willing to begin to take steps in that direction and serve the body of Christ through this way, I'd ask you to stand your feet so that we can pray together here today. And if you're not... Don't. That's fine. Jesus. Engaging conflict is challenging. It's difficult. Um, It can be hard. But it's something that gets fine-tuned the more we do it. We get better at this thing. We improve. So let's pray together for strength. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you, O oh God, are the great reconciler. You, O oh Lord, are the one that have brought us back to where we need to be. You, God, have given us hope where there was nothing, there was, where life had become pointless and useless, where there was no purpose once we've been separated from the Father. But you gave us back to the Father. You are the great reconciler. I thank you for your spirit that now lives in us. And so we don't live on our own power, but we live by the power of the spirit of the living God. And I know that it's that power and that power alone that enables us to be ministers of reconciliation. God, as your children, we want to be like you. We want to speak life over one another. We want to be uh, ministers of healing. God, we want to see our relationships with one another strengthen and grow deeper. And we want to grow deeper with you, Father. We are not content with the status quo and we are, we are not happy. We will not settle to injure one another or allow injury to be happening around us without standing up for your people, for my brothers and sisters. We belong to one another in you. So God, won't you rise us up. Give us a new awareness of our surroundings, awareness of one another and commitment to one another.
that we would be a blessing to one another. That our, that our end game for, for one another would only be for the good, for the wholeness, for the healing, for the complete shalom in this body. You are good, Lord. We love you. We give ourselves to you all over again today, Jesus. Thank you for all that you are. In your name we pray. Amen.